It's time for the Mac Geek Gab, and this week's quick tip comes from me, Pilot Pete. If you need to get into system settings, simply hit the option key and touch either the brightness, the mission control, or one of the audio up or down keys. Option plus brightness will bring up system settings and your brightness. Mission control brings up your displays, and obviously your audio brings up your system settings sound. No more having to type it, search it out with your mouse. Quick, in and easy. More quick tips like this, plus your questions today on Mac Geek Gab number 990 for Monday, July 10th, 2023. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your we share quick tips like that. Uh, we answer your questions. We take your cool stuff found. We share those too. We put it all together into an agenda that has a flow to it, that keeps us engaged, that maybe has some common threads. The goal being that each and every one of us learns at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include LinkedIn.com slash MGG where you can go and post your first job for free on LinkedIn jobs, notion.com slash Mac geek job, where you can go also for free and try out notion projects and ZocDoc.com slash MGG, where you can go and sign up. Yes, for free and download their app today. We'll talk more in depth about each of those things that you get to do a little bit later in the episode for now here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here for a couple more days in Lee, New Hampshire, it's Pilot Pete. Good to be back, Dave. Yeah, man, it's good to be back. I, uh, yeah. yeah, I like that that opening tip. That's uh, I, I, it is not the first time. It's not the first time I've heard it, but I, it, I, it, my fingers don't know it, so it's I don't use it as often right. as I as I, I can't want. Tell to. you how many times I've stumbled across. You know, I I hit Command Space and I start typing in System Settings. Yeah, yeah. Or I pull down the Apple and I'm trying to. Because I'm trying to get in and adjust my sound settings all the time. Right. Boom. Right. One quick one. It's up. Oh. Yep. I I like it. Yeah. No. It's it's great. Uh, these are this is this is why we share these quick tips. Um, right. It's for all of us. It, you folks, us included. Like it's we we all benefit from these. It's great. Speaking of Tony, has uh, kind of a little workaround as a quick tip, which I like. He says. My wife was having trouble making out details at some website she was visiting where she was trying to buy a shirt as she is using an iPad without a keyboard. I couldn't show her the simple command plus or command minus or command zero. So I tried showing her the zoom in accessibility. She found that too difficult. So instead I had her take a screenshot and then switch to photos and just use the pinch to zoom in and out on the screenshot and see the content on the web page. He says, uh, you know, sometimes he says even the accessibility features are too difficult to do in the moment. And it's true. And what's nice about the screenshot thing is accessibility. When you zoom in, will change some of the elements on the page, like text usually, but not all of the elements. It won't often, and it depends on how the web page is written, but often images stay the same size and the text just gets bigger when you use the accessibility thing. So, um, so, you know, there you go. 
yeah, I like that tip. Uh, a related tip to that, Pete, that I I found out about this week. I think I read something that John Gruber posted somewhere or something. I can't remember. Uh, but you can, you know, you can go into accessibility and change all kinds of these settings system wide, right? right? So you could do that. Did you know that you can go into accessibility, scroll all the way to the bottom and do per app accessibility settings? So you could have one web browser that is set to, you know, 120% text size, whereas your main web browser is not. So you could set like Firefox to, you know, larger okay. text size. And yeah, you go in and uh, I, I should pull up my phone because you could do this on iPhone and iPad. You go into settings and you go to accessibility and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see per app settings in there. You add an app. And then once you've added the app, you get basically a duplicate of all the accessibility settings that you could set for that would that would manipulate a given app and you get to customize them just for that app which i, I yeah i had hidden no, at the bottom I, I had no idea like i yeah <laughs> uh, yeah right i love it love it uh so this is why this is why we love quick tips yeah yeah, yeah. well let me let me tell one then great uh Todd wrote in, and let me go back a second. There's an old joke. What's the definition of neurotic? It's the guy who presses the elevator button 40 times to, to close the door before it actually closes. So, Todd, what, what are you trying to say about me, Pete? What are you trying no, to say? It, it, it's me. I may be a little <laughs> neurotic. That's why I like this quick tip. Um, if you're on your phone and you're trying to get the apps to wiggle so you can delete them or put them into a folder or move them around from screen to screen, you have to sit there and press. And if you Count. I counted three potatoes, one potato, two potato, three potato before I got them to wiggle. Sure. Todd discovered that if you touch the screen betwixt in between each of the icons, oh. it takes about somewhere between half and 0.7 seconds for the icons to start wiggling. What? So you oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like two and a half seconds faster. So for those of us who are neurotic and are in a hurry to get our apps wiggling, it, it is it's clearly a difference. Oh my God. Like what? Yeah. Because you've got to get through when, when you're, when you're holding down on an app, you've got to get through like the, uh, you know, the apps, uh, uh, long press menu. menu Yeah. 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 Yeah, Of course. If you just touch the screen between the apps, yeah, about half a second. Amazing. So for those of us in a hurry. (laughs) Oh man, that's great. That's a great tip, Todd. Thank you. That is a great tip. Yeah. I'll say. I'll say um, Chicago Tom last week, I asked how people were using Siri on their Macs, right? It's this something I don't do. I want to learn how others do it so they can see if there's a use case for me, right? I don't just want to presume there's not one because, because I'm not yet doing it. Right. And Chicago yeah. Tom says, um, he says, uh, you guys might recall that I was the one that was happy to find a keyboard shortcut to activate Siri. Right. Okay. Yeah. He says, that's because I use it all the time. He says, I have type to Siri activated on my Mac so that you can give Siri commands with the keyboard uh, as opposed to, you know, voice. And he says, I do not have the Hey S lady active. And the reason is because I work in a shared office space and the people around me can hear me when I talk. I don't want to disturb them. And occasionally I don't want them to know what I am doing. Fair. A good example of how he uses Siri on his Mac. He says, during a meeting, I may want to take a quick little note to remind myself to take care of something or do something that comes up during the conversation. 
I hit the Siri shortcut on my keyboard. And in the little prompt box, I type a text replacement for take a note that says. So the, the words that his text replacement you know, expands to are take a note that says. His replacement is XXNN. So, you know, but it doesn't matter, right? And then he types the note. He says, yes, I could use Apple's Quick Notes feature in the Notes app, but I find when I do, the new Quick Note window steals the focus and may move me away from, for instance, a Zoom window in full screen. Even when it doesn't take up the screen real estate, my method above avoids all of that. So as he's as he's doing this, I'm thinking so one thing I do all the time with Siri in the car is as I'm driving, you know, it's that you, you kind of get into that that meditative zoning sort of headspace when you're in the car. Uh, and I'll think of like, I, I have good ideas. So, well, I have ideas. Occasionally they're good. But I know that if I even if an idea is the best idea I've ever come up with in my life, I will not necessarily remember it once I am in a spot to do something about it, right? Like I'll, I'll think there's zero chance that I will forget about this. This is amazing. Oh, so brilliant. I couldn't possibly forget. Couldn't possibly forget. And oh, yet, wait a minute. What was I thinking? And, and yet <laughs> there will be things that sort of distract you. It doesn't make it into long-term memory, right? So yeah. I routinely use Siri in the car. I'll say, Siri, remind me today. And I, I either say today or tomorrow, if, if I don't give a date, then it puts it into my it will put it into my reminders either way. But an undated reminder is also something I don't see. It's like I, like I have to go and look for them. I don't because I see I sort my reminders by day and the undated stuff just falls to the bottom, uh, at least the way that I look at it. So uh, so I say, remind, you know, Siri, remind me today and then whatever. And it puts it on my to do on my reminder system, my to do list. And then from there, I can either take an action on it or, you know, put the like if it needs to be something that's more fleshed out, I, it, it, it's it's just a little, you know, it's a reminder. That's what it is. And right. so I find myself wanting to do that in the middle of meetings, just like Chicago Tom says, for the same reason. And I will just switch to my calendar app. I use BusyCal um, and I will add a reminder. But that does bring my focus out of the meeting. It's more with the 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 little Siri window, the bubble that pops up. You could just type it right in there. So I think this might be the the killer app for Dave for using Siri on the Mac is is I'll come up with a little shortcut that'll say remind me today like you know R, uh, RMT or something and then boom just type whatever I want so yeah. I like this well yeah. what would be remind me tomorrow RMT no wait no. Uh, <laughs> sorry I, I, yeah I don't I, it doesn't really matter to me for it for the purposes as long as that remind I remind you later it, it's it, as long as it puts it on there in a in yeah. like where I will see it you, you know yeah yeah right yeah. So I I learned a long time ago to try and write those things down too, because like you say, Oh, there's no way I'll forget it. And then there's, there's a guaranteed way you will forget it, or at least that I will. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, Our memories. I have an, I have an excellent memory for lots of things, but not for all the things. And I, you know, and, and I, and that has bitten me before. Cause I'm like, Oh, I can remember like every one of my credit card numbers I've ever had and all this stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I have whatever, however my brain works, I'm good at, at remembering that kind of stuff that leads me to the fallacy that I am good at remembering all the things. And that is, right. that is a fallacy. And as me. you know, with age, more penguins jump off the iceberg. Yes, that is true. Yeah, yeah. The good news is the good. I was reading something about this recently. The good news is with age, certainly our ability to remember specific things 
it does dwindle. Like it's just how yeah. it works. But our minds get better at perceiving bigger picture things as we age. And here's the ben- here's the wonderful thing about that as as someone who is uh, actively aging uh, and and hasn't really been able to do anything about that. Well, I, I suppose there's a way to stop the aging process, but I don't want well, to do yeah, that either. Then you're passively aging, and that's that's, that's very different. Way. Yes, I don't want that at all. No, I'm 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 very happy. Uh, I lead a charmed life, and I I want to continue leading it. Uh, but with um, you know, we have all these devices that are much better than even our younger selves were at remembering bits and pieces of information. So it's like this, it's like a superpower in a sense, you know, aging enhances our minds in a way that at, at least thus far, our computing devices, uh, you know, doing things that our computing devices cannot do seeing big picture stuff. And maybe they'll get there someday, but right now, no. So Every day I get better at that. And every day my computers get better at remembering the things that I'm forgetting. And so as long as I remember to use them for that, I'm in good shape. Right. Yep. Yeah. And there's billions of them around the world. And that's the thing. Yeah. The for, powers. For better and for worse. Yeah. Yes. Uh, listener Matt, uh, who is also an indie developer, uh, reminds us that Matt Corey Reminds us that this coming week, uh, Tuesday into Wednesday, July 11th and 12th, is uh, Indie. What, what I want to make sure I get the name of this right. Indie App Sales Day, and uh, and there is a link that I'll put in the show notes. It's uh, it's it's a GitHub page, so you sh- everybody should be able to see it. And uh, and there's all kinds of apps that will be having discounts. Uh, some of them are Mac OS apps. Some of them are, you know, iPhone and iPad apps. Uh, so there's, there's some great stuff on here. Matt, Matt's the one who makes signals for home kit. And I think that's going to be 40% off this week. Um, so, and there's actually an, in one of the in-app purchases, the automate in-app purchase is going to be 43% off this week. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, so Jesus. thank you for, thank you for reminding us of that, Matt. And, uh, happy to, happy to share. So yeah, good stuff uh we have a couple of psas to share with you all that uh that i will i swear i will find here the first one comes from uh in our discord from someone affectionately called old guy another geezer just like me just like (laughs) us yeah exactly someone who is actively aging uh just like the rest of us Uh, We currently run our T-Mobile monthly payments through a credit card that offers phone loss damage insurance. T-Mobile announced this week, last week, that in order to maintain our automatic payment discount, we'll need to move our payment to a debit card, thus losing insurance coverage. Any suggestions for plans that are reasonable? Um, And I don't know that there is an insurance plan that's reasonable for a phone. I I suppose that depends on you and your penchant for losing or destroying phones. Um, But uh, Pogo Kelly suggested it might actually be cheaper for you to forego the credit card or the, the, the debit card discount, continue paying with your credit card that gives you that, uh, that loss and damage insurance 
and and pay the delta that that might be for oh, yeah some of the platinum cards and such off, often offer that yeah so. and that's what he's been doing and of course t-mobile doesn't want to pay those fees anymore because that's how credit cards work whenever you know your rewards card the merchant pays for your rewards not like your credit card company it's not the yeah. goodness of their heart it's literally <laughs> literally the merchants who pay those fees and and t-mobile clearly doesn't want to pay those anymore and my guess is enough people are using yeah. rewards cards so that's why they made this decision. So the debit card, you pay for the fees. Yeah, directly. that's right. Well, More directly. Yeah. Well, I mean, in that. I mean, the merchant doesn't pay. You pay the merchant. The merchant pays, you know. Yeah, but there's. Their profit. But, it, but there's know. no yeah. rewards debit cards. There's no rewards right. fees on good debit point. cards. Very that's point, that's yes. the difference here is yeah. they don't have to pay those. Yeah. So. And I, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, I and I don't use debit cards uh, for the security reason that if someone compromises your card it's out of your checking account until you get it proven at least it used to be that way it, it's been many it, years and i've just always avoided debit cards no for that i i got burned by the same thing uh over a holiday weekend it was like a memorial day weekend somebody i can't and, uh, and now i can't remember if it was the checking account i use or the checking account lisa uses i'm pretty sure it's the one lisa uses and they you know burned through whatever she had in in that account and she was like why am i getting like bounce check what's going on here and it did it probably took 60 days for the bank to finally return all of the money that was spent out of that account i think it depends on your bank and it's worth checking with your bank certainly back then this was you know 10 years ago exactly what you said was correct it is you know you pay for it until the 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 case guilty until proven innocent yeah it's guilty until proven innocent or at least charged until proven otherwise Whereas with credit cards, it's the other way around. Um, and I've I've heard that debit cards, some of them have gotten better. But like like you, Pete, I just use a credit card for everything. So yeah. so that's one option. The other option is to move it to your debit card if you if you so choose. But uh, forego paying someone else for phone insurance and just self insure. Uh, that's the path I chose years ago because managing you know phones for the four of us while the kids were growing up and all that stuff you know paying whatever it was 15 bucks a month times four very quickly adds up to the price of a new phone and and keeps adding right and i figured right. you know that we are pretty good with our phones we all keep our phones in cases we're we we it's been a long time since we've destroyed or lost a phone i had to knock on some wood uh but uh, but I know it will happen and 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 we've saved more than enough and are are in a position where if if and when, you know, one of us loses a phone or breaks our phone beyond repair. Well, OK, it's a thousand bucks. And like but but we've saved that money over the course of you know the last 10 years or whatever. It's like we're we're in good shape. So right. we've chosen to self-insure that that is another option on the table. I, like it, you, you need to decide what works for you, obviously. But, yeah, but yeah, and Brian in Arizona things. in the Discord chat mentions that it, it it's kind of a workaround. Get okay. a small checking account, put a small amount in there, get a debit card, and you use your benefit that way. So it's oh. a it's a workaround. Yeah, you know, it's a second checking account. I like as long that. As there's no fees on it and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. You got to find a bank that doesn't yes. fee you like crazy. Yes. So yeah. And one other thing about a debit card that I found out just briefly, uh, Zelle is kind of like Venmo and and all those others. I, I have sent money with Zelle before. Someone tried to send me money with Zelle. Guess what you can't do without a debit card? Take money for Zelle. Interesting. So. Yeah, I uh, had so I to. Said, All right, send it in. Because I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I had to convert my 
my ATM card into a debit card sometime in the last five years for something. And it was, it was, I don't think it was Zelle, but it was something where it was like, okay, uh, fine, fine. But the the bank I'm with Citibank still, I, I still, because I was an employee there a lifetime ago, I still get some free checking benefits. So I, I stick with that. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when that's going to end. Really, I should get a bank that's closer to me. Probably, my, the, probably the same time your direct TV is going to end. I don't have direct TV. I thought you did. No, no. Was it? Oh, oh, the, di- oh the direct TV stream. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah shh. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we don't want that to end either. That's, that's been a nice thing. Uh, yeah, it was, it was good for three months, two years ago, three years ago. Uh, Allison over at Nosilicast shares a uh, an important thing uh PSA here for tailscale users who like living on the edge uh she says i got a call today for help from Mr. Ed in our discord who is a listener to both of our shows because he was running the Sonoma developer beta and his keyboard stopped working even an external keyboard wouldn't work and the problem survived a reboot. Allison says, I found a Reddit thread where people were having the same issue. Uh, and two people said that quitting Tailscale fixed it. Ed used his mouse like an animal to open Activity Monitor and force Tailscale to quit since it wouldn't quit from the menu bar and keyboard was restored. So if you are using Tailscale, um, maybe don't use that with the Sonoma developer beta or at the very least just, or either beta because the, the, the public beta and the developer beta are close enough that my guess is the problem would, would persist in both, but be aware of that potentially being a problem for you. All right. Hey, look, you know, that feeling you get when you finally find the thing you've been searching for on the internet after spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews, you find it. This thing, whatever it is, maybe you want some sparkly disco pants or maybe you want a new hard drive for your disk station or whatever it is. It literally checks all of your boxes and it has five stars. Oh, and it arrives in just 48 hours. So why is it that you can get the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world in just two days? But if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment. Not to mention, how do you know if they're even good? Thankfully, there is a way. It's our sponsor called ZocDoc, a place to find and book great doctors who actually have amazing reviews, many with appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. These docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients, not bots. The average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 48 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments sometimes. I've used this, and I think you're going to love it. It really works. It's amazing. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MGG and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MGG, ZocDoc.com slash MGG, and our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode.
I think we all know that these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business, right? You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out our sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. We run small businesses here, very small, and we need to make sure we have exactly the right people and definitely not have the wrong people. We've used LinkedIn Jobs many times. Most recently, we talked about using it to hire Sadie. She has been a fantastic addition to this team. And LinkedIn makes it so easy. You just go, you create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs. Then you add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And then you use their simple tools like these screening questions, which make it so easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience and you know, that je ne sais quoi, right? That So you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. You've really got to check this out. And finding the right team member is key for your business, just like it is for mine. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk with faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MGG. That's linkedin.com slash MGG to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring this episode. I think many of you are like me and getting work done can feel impossible some days, right? Especially if you're tracking tasks, writing docs and setting goals in three different places or more than three different places. If this sounds like you, then listen up, right? Notion, our sponsor, is an incredible tool that makes it so much easier to make progress on your projects. And this is why I love Notion. And today, I'm excited to share that they've just launched Notion projects, which includes new, powerful ways to manage projects and leverage the power of their built-in AI features, too. Notion projects combines project management with your docs, your knowledge base, and AI, so you can stop jumping between different tools and stop paying too much for them, too. With Notion, you get to do it all in just one workspace, and you can do everything you need to get your projects over the finish line, from the brainstorming to the drafting of the plans to organizing sprints to keeping everybody on track. It's all super customizable. There's also powerful filtering and automation features, which we love, so you can work on exactly the things you want to work on exactly the way you want to. Do your most efficient work with Notion projects. You can try it for free today at Notion.com slash MacGeekGab. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash MacGeekGab. Then when you use our link, of course, you're supporting the show, which is great. Go right now, Notion.com slash MacGeekGab. And our thanks to Notion for sponsoring this episode. All right, Dave, what do you say we answer a question or two? I think we should answer maybe five. Oh, okay. Five it is. All right. And maybe we'll learn five new things. Who knows? <laughs> so listener Gary writes in, Yeah, hey, I was watching something on Prime Video on my iPad Air. I tried to take a screenshot, but it came out blank. Any idea why? It was the Avengers from the early 60s, and I wanted an image of Patrick McNee and Diana Rigg. Just a still image, not video. Guess what? Amazon Prime, and I think Netflix does this too, and probably a whole bunch of other streaming oh. services. No screenshot for you. All right. No really? for you. You're not getting it. Yeah. I huh. think it's DRM blocking it. I've experienced the same issue, I, I'm certain, with other streaming services. 
Um, no, it makes sense. Sure. I mean, they, they certainly have the control of, of doing that uh, it, when it's yeah. happening inside the app. So, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. I believe the only workaround to that is to take your trusty iPhone out and take a picture, you know, pause it and take a picture of the. Yeah. Of okay. Yeah. That Yeah, that would work. Um, if you watch it on your Mac in a web browser, you could take a screenshot of the web browser like that's that's going to work. Yeah, maybe. I, uh, no. I seem to recall, and I could be wrong, I seem to recall trying to use Capto to record my screen at one point, and it would not let me do a screen huh. capture. Okay. Um, yeah, they're pretty clever over there, not letting that uh, I, DRM go downrange. <laughs> I, I thought, I, thought I, I was able to take screenshots of those things on yeah. my Mac. And to that end, uh, another thing to try would be launch Amazon Prime in a web browser on your iPad. And try to take a screenshot of that. Oh yeah, as opposed to the as opposed to the app, the, the client app, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. I didn't think of that as being a workaround, right? I yeah. mean, it it theoretically it it should, should work. work. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always like it's, and I'd be curious. I'm I'm sure it doesn't work, but just because this is how my brain works, and I want to know, uh, I don't like to assume these things. I would be curious what happens if you turn on screen recording on your iPad and and then go into the Amazon app and start playing or Netflix and start playing. Like yeah. it, my guess is you're not going to get anything, but it sure would yeah. be interesting to know. That's my guess too. Although if you do it first, maybe it matters the order. Right. You. Right. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. If you know, let us know. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Or if you have a question or, or a quick tip or, you know, whatever, that's also a, a good place to send it. Well, well, wait a minute. Where? Feedback uh, yeah. at MacGeekGab.com? Yeah, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Or you could do what JT Ray did with his next question and post it in our MGG help desk over on Discord at MacGeekGab.com slash Discord. And then not only do you get uh, the, the, any knowledge that Pete and, or I might be able to bring to things, you get the hive mind knowledge of everybody in the Mac geek gab family. And that's awesome. JT asks, uh, as we all know, the maximum iCloud storage Apple offers is two terabytes in an attempt to add more. I thought about family share. I'm wondering if I could create more and more iCloud accounts, sharing the data from those to a primary ID. So, uh, and Brian Monroe pointed this out because, again, the hive mind uh, on Discord that uh, the family share pools the data, uh, the the storage, uh, you know, together. So adding more accounts doesn't add to the storage pool in a meaningful way. You're just paying for one pool and getting it across multiple accounts. Um, however, when you have an Apple One plan, you can get up to four terabytes of storage on your uh, on your Apple account. So that might be really the way to do it. I but I, I and it is one way to do it. I'm curious though, has anybody out there actually hit this limit of two terabytes? And if so, what happens? Like, is there some you know unpublished? thing that apple has where it's like oh yeah if you need more just just tell us and we'll you know we'll, we'll charge you this this like hidden thing and 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 then you'll have more like 
is it is it really a hard and fast limit that there's no way around or is there actually a way around it that i would love to know because that's the million dollar question right yeah yeah, and i I feel like i've just never hit that limit and i'm not close enough that it's like oh someday soon i'll get to you know um so i like i but i want to know like so if you know know, that yeah if you don't have the tube terrible if you've got the smaller plan that when you for instance switch over your iphone yeah it, it it lets you use more storage and then it takes it all away, which okay. shows that Apple knows that what they offer at the bottom tier is nowhere yeah, near yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that's a little frustrating, but yeah, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Like like I've seen that happen. But what happens if you're at the top? Like that's yeah, that's what I want to know. Oh, I I bet I don't know. I bet you start getting the warnings like Google. I I I'd be surprised if they offer more. I could be wrong. Why wouldn't they? Right. I mean, clearly they have enough storage to give you more and charge you for it. Like, like, you know, this is just simple business to me. So I don't know. I don't know. There are things, there are things I don't understand. I do uh, have a fairly good working knowledge of Wi-Fi though. And the Mac mommy, Melissa over there in our discord asks, how often do you replace your router or mesh setup? My current mesh is a TP-Link that is Wi-Fi 5. Uh, her cable company Cox recently upgraded the network, and now my speeds have been doubled. Uh, yay. And she has a Doxis 3.1 modem, so all good there. But must I also now upgrade to Wi-Fi 6? The reason I ask is because I suspect my router may be causing a bottleneck in the speed. Or it could be all the wireless devices that we have connected simultaneously. I also wonder if my network Ethernet switch could be causing a slowdown. I'll retest everything now that the Cox upgrade seems to be complete. But it was looking like I only get the full speed when connected directly to the modem uh, with Ethernet. And then I get less than half once I connect uh, the rest of our devices via Wi-Fi. Or maybe that's normal. How much should one expect the speed to be reduced when the whole household is connected via mesh Wi-Fi? So my general advice, we'll go into details here. My general advice is don't just replace your router for the heck of it. Um, Even if you can prove that your Wi-Fi is a bottleneck, that's still not necessarily a good reason in in my mind to replace it because your Wi-Fi with today's you know, ISP speeds that we get. I mean, you can like many areas of the country in the world can get gigabit speeds to your house. Very few uh, people are ever going to with today's technology, see gigabit speeds over Wi-Fi. So your Wi-Fi is always going to be a bottleneck, at least in a theoretical or a, a, a test case sense. Like you'll be able to prove that it's a bottleneck. But, you know, like for me, in, a, in, in my office, I have um, Wi-Fi 6E devices, right? Like uh, that, you know, I have, I have the Eero 6E and, and I get the same when I test other things. And my office is fairly, it's isolated from the house. There's not a ton of Wi-Fi devices. It's not right next to the neighbors. And I get six to 700 megabits per second in both directions, up and down when I test on Wi-Fi. That's, those are great speeds, but it's, it's not gigabit. Like my network is capable of gigabit, my internet connection because it's fiber is capable of gigabit, but I only see that when I'm connected on Ethernet. The question to ask, I think, is when do I need that kind of speed on my phone or on my Mac that's connected via Wi-Fi? Like what what is what am I trying to do that is being hampered 
by or what do I want to do that I can't do because my speeds are hampering me uh, from doing that. Um, and, you know, your max might be those things, right? Especially if you're doing some a lot of online backups or if you're transferring large files around in an office setting. And of course, lots of us have home offices these days. But but that's really the question is, you know, what are you doing that's being slowed down and what can't you do because of this technical bottleneck? Um, I, you know, is like that would that would be the, the question to answer. If you're getting my general feeling is for most of us is that if you test your speeds and you're getting on your Wi-Fi devices, if you're getting, you know, above 200 megabits per second, you're probably going to be fine. Um, if you wind up, if you're getting less than that, then it's time to look at why are you getting less than that? Is it that you have the wrong mesh technology or older mesh technology and fat and newer mesh technology would be faster for you? If the answer to that is yes, then, then maybe that's the right thing. Or is it that you have way more client devices now than you used to, and somehow that's slowing down your mesh? The number of devices doesn't necessarily slow you down, but it can. Um, and and certainly, as Brian Monroe in our chat points out, you know, newer Wi-Fi standards support uh, more Wi-Fi devices at sort of native speeds. So that that can be a reason, yes, if you've got lots of devices for sure. Um but but ask the question first. Don't just presume you need to upgrade by default. Like find find where your problem is. Um one of the there was some discussion in in Discord about you know, well, I don't have any Wi-Fi one person said I don't have any Wi-Fi 6E devices, so there's no reason to upgrade my my mesh to Wi-Fi 6E. And I think that while that it, 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 all those things could be true, I think one way to another way to interpret it is that's a great reason to upgrade your mesh to Wi-Fi 6E if you need more speed between your mesh points. Because if your mesh is speaking at Wi-Fi 6E, which operates on a different band than Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 5, then you have less interference in that band because you don't oh, have any client yeah. devices, right? And so yeah. now your your wireless backhaul, which is the the connection between your mesh points, is freer and clearer. I, I don't want to say free and clear, but it's less congested. And that can work out really well. Remember, you know, it, it, like the idea of a mesh network with multiple access points has been around for a very long time. It was mostly only implementable via a wired backhaul like ethernet connecting all of our mesh points up until 802.11 ac hit right wi-fi 5 when that hit that meant that we could have faster speeds for our backhaul and you know even though wi-fi 5 is operating at 5 gigahertz and it's not as good as going through walls as 2.4 the signaling protocols they used for that made it so that you got faster speeds and that's what opened the door for companies like Eero and, and all the others to start making wireless mesh products for us consumers. Uh, and, and so they did, and obviously it's worked out really well, but, but yeah, having greater capabilities for your mesh to talk isn't necessarily a bad thing. and can be a really good thing. So, but more and more devices are, are, you know, doing six and six E, but um, yeah. So I don't know. Th those are, it's, those are my thoughts. Yeah. No, that's a great point. 
Yeah. So, so I was actually going to say, you know, when you started talking about they're communicating betwixt themselves at 6E, when I was just sitting there thinking, well, that's, that's kind of like they're wired together. So, and like you said, the original mesh was, it was wired. That's how they talked to each other and then sent out the signal. Yes. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it's, it, and a wired mesh is still going to be, if you can oh, wire faster. your mesh points together, it's more reliable, more, way more reliable. And it might even be faster, probably is faster, yeah. but whether you'll actually notice those speeds, I don't know if it matters. Uh, it's really the kind of the thing. So yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it or do what I do. And if it ain't broke, fix it till it is. Fix it till it is. <laughs> uh, because you have, can. Have we ever named an episode? If it ain't broke, fix it till it is. I think we just did. Well, if we haven't yet, I don't know. I don't know. While we're on the Wi-Fi subject, and hopefully someone searches our site to find out if we've ever named an episode that, uh, Jamie asks on the on the Wi-Fi thing, I am adding an access point to my existing Unify network, which runs on the Synology RT6600AX. So the Synology, I'm presuming here, is doing the uh, sort of gateway and routing and all of that of the network. And then the Unify access points are, are the Wi-Fi points. So great. Prior to adding the new access point, um, the RT6600AX is the only Wi-Fi router or access point. These two devices, Unify and Synology, are obviously not the same brand and they won't form a mesh. That's mostly true. Um, by the strict definition, I think that is true. He says, a Unify access point will be connected by wired Ethernet to the Synology. Right. Okay, good. I want both devices to carry the same three SSIDs, my main network, my guest network, and my IoT network. And I know how to configure all of that as far as the devices and VLANs go. But should I do anything special to help the devices cooperate and not conflict on the Wi-Fi bands? The new unit will be in the garage, but the devices will definitely have overlapping coverage. I'm expecting my client devices to more or less automatically choose the stronger signal. Any gotchas here? So, you know, before Eero existed, uh, we talked a lot on this show about, you know, what what we now retroactively call the quasi mesh or, you know, the poor man's mesh, although I'm not. I'm not sure that we saved money doing this. So I think that might quasi mesh might be better. Well, that's what makes you a poor man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, I, I would run, you know, two or three different routers. I would put one in router mode and I would put the others in bridge mode. And I would set, and I was even doing this with Apple airport devices at times. Like I, it didn't matter. I would mix and match things and I would set the SSIDs to be the same and the passwords to be the same. So that as devices jumped from one to the other. Uh, it would be relatively seamless. You know, you, you as the user wouldn't have to do anything. And what I did then was manually made sure as best I could that I was not having the channels overlap with each other. So I would manually set the channel on, you know, one device. If, if you know, if we, if we were talking 2.4 gigahertz, I would try and have them, you know, one, six and 11. And, you know, it dev- the devices that were overlapping with each other, I would have one on one and one on six if I could or, you know, whatever. And then the same with five gigahertz, you're just finding different channels that that are not in use. And um, Wi-Fi Explorer is a great app for that. It is part of Setapp. So um, I'll put a link to Wi-Fi Explorer in the show notes, but it's a it's a good app to to be able to see where what's going. It literally will show you you run it on your Mac and it shows you. And by the way. 
move your Mac around the house so that you see what's, you know, congested in each spot. Don't just presume one spot's going to be the same as the other because it, it's not. That's not how it works. But um, but that's how I did it. Now, I will point out that most of the mesh systems, including the ones we recommend here on the show today, do not use different channels. They use the same channels, but they are aware of each other. They can theoretically adjust the power levels of those radios to get the right amount of overlap without too much, because that's really important. If you're you having a signal blasting at a hundred percent is part of the problem of Wi-Fi congestion in like apartment buildings. I remember years ago when we had Alf Watt on the show, he was in charge uh, at Apple of writing a, a bunch of the original airport code and all of that. And then he, after he left Apple, he was the one who made I stumbler for a long time, which I, th I think the development has stopped on that, which is why we recommend Wi-Fi Explorer now. But Alf was saying, Oh yeah, you know, you could, you could fit way more Wi-Fi signals into an apartment without congestion. If everybody would just talk to each other and set their power levels to what they needed for their own device, for their own, you know, spaces and not just blasting at full, you know, full power. But anyway, um, most people don't do that. So that is some of the stuff you can do. I can't, I know the Unify devices will let you adjust power levels. I don't know if Synology has something in the user interface for that, but you know, I, I would still, if I were doing what, what uh listener Jamie is asking about, I would absolutely use different channels today um, because it just makes life easier and you know, you're not going to be yeah, interfering. So, but, but yeah, those quasi meshes work great. In the end, whether you have a mesh that's controlled by, you know, all one vendor or one like a quasi mesh like this, the final decision as to which access point a client device associates with is up to the client device. Now, it is there are protocols for the mesh to communicate down to the clients and say, please join that one, not this one. And then they can even block a client by you know its mac address from associating and that will sometimes nudge a client to go somewhere else but it really is all about convincing the client to go so i don't know that's uh -huh. what i got yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i did, did i miss something anything on that pete questions no i i, I think that covers it perfectly okay actually yeah okay. no and with with i stumbler out i will say that uh i think it was Porthos John pointed out that yes, if uh, if you option click your Wi-Fi signal in your in your bar uh, in in the toolbar at the top, you can get information about your signal strength and and that sort of thing. Okay. And I, I know I shared this is a quick tip way 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 long time ago. If you go to the bottom of that window that pops up and click on Wi-Fi settings, I'm sorry, that isn't the right one. Uh, it was diagnostics. Yes. If you click on the open wireless diagnostics, but then ignore that and go to the window menu, then you can get all kinds of scan information and that sort of thing. We shared that a long time back. So you option click Wi-Fi, click on open wireless diagnostics, but rather than clicking continue, go up to the menu and click on window, and then you can get into assistant log scan performance sniffer. Mm. So, yep, it's a, it's kind of a shortcut into what's available from wired yeah. wireless diagnostics yeah so. i like it i like it you can uh you can see some of the signal strength stuff on your iphone uh it's oh, yeah. it's wonky but you can do it you the you have to have the airport utility app uh on your phone first 
and then make sure you go into settings. I know this is convoluted. Go into the settings for the airport utility app and at the bottom of those settings, turn on the Wi-Fi scanner option. Then launch the airport utility. And in the upper right will be this little sort of janky button. It's really just a text button. Like it's, it's terrible. Like the UX of it is terrible. It's non Apple, but, uh, Tap the Wi-Fi scan button, and then when you're there, tell it to scan. It will take a beat and scan everything and start showing you your all of the access points it sees. So if you have a mesh network, you're going to see you know your same SSID listed many, 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 many times. And it will show you what channel it's on. It will show you the uh, signal strength, the RSSI, I think relative signal strength indicator is what that stands for. And if it doesn't, I think maybe it should. Uh, and you know, these are all, uh, negative numbers. Zero DBM is, you will never see I think that's the theoretical maximum or, or it should be, but, uh, but you know, so looking at the numbers, the, the lower, the negative numbers. So negative, you know, 55 is a weaker signal than negative 49. If that makes sense to all of us. Okay. Um, well, I guess. It's hard to to use the, the data is just presented in a terrible format there. So you're better off if you if you have a Mac, use your Mac yeah. with Wi-Fi. Well, first Explorer. of all, I'm surprised they even still are developing that airport because you know Apple doesn't even make an airport anymore, airport utility. But that's fair. You know, yeah. I mean, you got to be able to manage. That. I would have thought they'd have renamed it and given yeah. us some of that functionality in there. But here's a cool thing that uh, Tennessee Papa pointed out in Discord. What about your cell phone signal strength? Oh. He says dial three zero zero one pound one two three four five pound and it will give you your cell phone signal strength. Really? Okay. Is yeah. that on um, all um, carriers? I I do not know. All right. Well, I'll put it's that in the his. show notes. You don't have to remember it, folks. It's already pasted <laughs> yeah. into the show notes. So yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, I don't know if it's on Mint or not. But uh, yeah. and I can't try it because I'm using uh, my cell phone as my camera for yeah. the show. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to make you all sick whilst watching the. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you happen to be watching the video stream, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, where are we on time? Yeah, okay, we're doing good. Um, yeah. Listener Rich has a question about uh, sort of related to network stuff. He says, uh, "I have a Synology 720 Plus. Doesn't really matter that this is a Synology. It, it, it's more about time machine to a network uh, drive. But he's doing it to a Synology." He says, and he uses that for many things. One of them is to back up his M1 MacBook Pro to a time machine for shared folder on the on the disk station. This had been successful, doing a daily backup automatically and occasionally manually started for six months. Uh, recently, I saw that I hadn't had a time ba- time machine backup for about five days, so I initiated one manually from the time machine menu icon by clicking backup now. The process started with connecting to backup disk, but never got farther than that and eventually timed out. I can connect to the server and the shared time machine folder on the NAS via the finder, uh, and that works fine. The username and password works. Uh, I, of course, did all the usual things. I rebooted the NAS. I rebooted my MacBook Pro. I even restored my network. Nothing worked. I eventually solved the issue by making a new shared folder on the NAS and starting the process over. What would your troubleshooting steps have been to avoid starting over and losing the previous six months of backups? Do you think the same old time machine sparse bundle corruption that pops up every now and then was my issue? So 
No, I don't think this was the corruption because the corruption would it, you would be able to connect to the backup disk and probably even the backup, you know, the sparse bundle. It just would have issues and never actually start the backup. Uh, but you were you were stuck in the connecting process. And so it sounds like your time machine on your Mac. I want to be specific about this. I don't want to say your Mac couldn't see the the shared folder, but time machine couldn't see the shared folder. Time machine stores a different keychain entry than, say, the finder does. Uh, time machines, keychain entries and and network connection entries are very specific about the name of the share and the protocol used to connect to the share. Time Machine used to only support a protocol called AFP, Apple File Protocol. Now, uh, if and for uh, several iterations of macOS, it has supported uh, SMB, Server Messaging Block. That is a better protocol to use for a network connection. It's more efficient. Uh, Apple has moved uh, all of their file sharing to SMB, and your disk station has... Uh, if you updated your disk station recently, and this is where the disk, it being a disk station might be relevant, uh, it might have told you, hey, Apple recommends using SMB. You should probably turn off AFP. So it's possible that you turned off AFP, but Time Machine was still very much bound to an AFP connection to your disk station. And it couldn't find it because it's not advertised via AFP. Yes, it's advertising. So uh, you just solved one of my problems. Didn't even think about. It. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. So, yeah. so the the trick here, it, what you did was you connected to a new shared folder, Rich, and that uh, made a new connection. It would have seen only the SMB. And again, I'm I'm making some presumptions here, but if that's the issue, it would have seen SMB. It would have connected that way, saved it in the keychain entry, and all is good. But if you had told your Mac, forget this time machine backup, leave it out there, the old one, and then just go through the steps of reconnecting to it, that would have been my first troubleshooting step is just, you know what, time machine, and, and it might not even be the AFP versus SMB thing. I've just seen it where time machine needs to be taught how to reconnect if the name of a device on the network changed or, you, you know, something about your network changed Time Machine, like I said, it's very specific about the volume to which it's going to back your stuff up. And sometimes I just need to tell it. Uh, it there it is. It's I know it's the same thing. I didn't change anything. Yes, something about my network probably did change. So I probably did change something. But let me just reconnect this and it's all good. So uh, that would have been, to answer your question, that would have been my troubleshooting. That would have been the first thing I would do The in the, if I were there, what would I do first or next? That's what I would do is just manually reconnect it to the existing share that probably would have solved it for you. Unless you had the corruption issue, then you would have gotten connected and then it wouldn't work. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. still, yeah, I, I just know I have that time machine issue where I know the disc is there and it's not seeing it. So I need to go in and yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I actually don't know how I'm going to do that though. Wait, why it doesn't see the disc. Does your finder see the disc? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. then, then what? Okay, then, then again, in the if I were there, here's what I would do. Um, I would go into Time Machine and remove that disk from Time Machine, mm -hmm. just so that you're, you know, giving it a, a clean slate, essentially. And then I would go into the Finder and connect to that volume. 
Get okay. it up and happy. I know Time Machine's going to make its own connection to it, but right. having your Mac and confirming that well, you know already talking to it, it right? And it's it's actually on my Synology. So. Great. Yep. So you get that thing. Make sure you can see the Time Machine volume. Okay. Great. Then I would just go in and add it again, and and hopefully it shows up there. But that that would okay. that would be the first thing to try. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully. Hopefully. Gotcha. Yeah, man. Uh, hate, hate to go back in time, but since time is nonlinear, we need to do that. Uh, I, I changed it in the show notes, but it's asterisk 3001 pound sign, one, two, three, four, five pound sign. And I think an asterisk at the end too, but I, I also put a link uh, to cool okay. cell phone codes that uh, Tennessee pop, I think from Great. Discord put up in there. Awesome. So, okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. No, that's good to have that correction. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump right. forward in time, shall we? Shall we jump forward in time? Uh, you want to take us to Steve's question? Steve Steve wrote in, um, hey guys, a question regarding how you handle your photo library. Do you import all of your non-iPhone photos into your iCloud library? Meaning if you have 100 photos you've taken with a DSLR from a family vacation, do you drag those into the Apple Photos library on your Mac so that you have all your photos in one spot? Or is that just a waste of storage space since you're now essentially duplicating all of your photos, the originals and the imports? Um, thanks for your thoughts and happy fourth. My fourth was good. Hope yours was too, Dave. Yeah. Um, that was super laid back. It was great. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, this is kind of more of a philosophical question than a tech question. But I told him, uh, you know, years ago, I started putting all my shots in, in photos uh, once. <laughs> first of all, iPhoto. Yes. <laughs> for simplicity's sake. Uh-huh. Um and I, I somewhere along the line uh, adopted the phrase "let go and let, let let go and let Apple." Oh, um, obviously there are cases where it doesn't work for everyone. Uh, but with iCloud backing up Photos Library, then you're less likely to have a disaster. And I was telling him, I, you know, I had neighbors years ago who lost a hard drive, and I mean, they sent it to the guys who charge hundreds of dollars to recover data sure. off and everything, and it was trashed and gone. The oh. only photos they had of their children before age eight was from family and friends. They lost them. They had it all on one hard drive and no backup. It's soul crushing to hear a story like that. So uh, that's just my opinion. Get everything you can into photos. And then I, I think you're okay to delete from a separate folder or file on your hard drive. Let photos do it. Let it take care of it. All your photos are going to go to iCloud, assuming you don't. Now, would I make that my only backup? Oh, goodness, no. Because sure. assuming your, your iCloud account gets hacked or anything weird like that, right? Multiple layers of backup is the only safe way to ensure you don't lose all this stuff. Period. Yes. I mean, yes. You know, yeah. It's the only way to do it. I but, haven't heard about Apple losing any photos from anyone. Like, like, like there is, there have been zero reports of right. people saying I did nothing. Apple lost all my photos. That, that has not happened. If it had, right. we would be, like in a oh, terrible yeah. like like that would change everything Absolutely. and apple knows it by the way like they know that they have to protect that data like their company depends on it because in a sense it does <laughs> yeah it it does absolutely yeah there's no doubt but that, it could uh, happen and we need to act like it can if we value that data so i i, I do <laughs> back up my photos yeah yeah and my point was what you know what if someone hacks your account and manages to lock you out if if you're someone who doesn't have two factor authentication, I don't think you can even have an iCloud account that isn't two factor authenticated. Not anymore, with but, not with all the services you'd want to use. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, I think but, that's right. But the fact remains, they're, they're, in theory, it could be a way someone with access to your machine could change your stuff and lock you out of your account yeah. and erase it all or, you know, something nefarious like that. Highly unlikely, but entirely possible. Yep. So, yep. Yep. So, so, like I say, that was more of a philosophical question than a technical question, but I, I think you're better off just letting photos handle it all. It's yes. all in one database and Apple's got your back. I, I agree. I do the same thing. I, you know, I, I do have a copy of my, a local copy of my photos library. I do push that to my Synology so that I can have Synology photos, see that same library, but it like, it is, it is truly just a copy of my Apple photos library. Everything lives in Apple photos for me, I suppose, uh, relating it to JT Ray's question earlier in this episode, like if you hit your two or four terabyte maximum because of your photos, yeah. then you've got to think about different things. But even then, I don't know. I actually be curious, like for those of you with massive photos libraries, what do you do? Do you archive some stuff off? And, and if so, to what do you archive it? Like what, what apps are you using? What storage paradigms are you using to keep all those things? Yeah. That would be interesting um, to know about. Well, you know, wh whether or not you're hitting your two or four terabyte limit, like, you know, if you're not storing all your photos on iCloud and you're intentional about that, where are you storing them? So, uh, where are we here? I don't even know. What's my name here? Yeah, um, right now. We, so, uh, we, uh, Rich was, oh, uh, no, we, I'm sorry. We no, did we just Rich, did, we uh, did Mark. Rich. Yeah, we did Mark. Steve. It's time. Mark was asking about travel, uh, when dropping yeah. from one of the big mobile carriers. Yeah. Um, so Mark had and i will pull up mark mark's question because i want to make sure i ask it the right way he uh he says my dilemma i've been on t-mobile with a simple four line uh simple choice family plan for eight years now and it includes my state employee discount for an all-in price of 120 dollars a month i realize i could get the same plan for 80 dollars a month on mint mobile uh he's and, and use t-mobile's network he says, there are some T-Mobile perks that I use that makes the $40 in potential savings a bit less, like the MLB package that runs $120 a year and Paramount Plus for 6 bucks a month. He says, so that makes the difference $24 a month instead of 40 but still meaningful. Now, the real issue. He says, I'm going to Alaska next year for a few weeks. So I check the Mint Mobile website and they show no service in Alaska and their site says coast to coast coverage. Hmm. So I, can, I, can, I can assure you there is no Mint mobile service in Alaska. Brilliant. Okay. So that, that he talked to Mint and they were sort of, they said you might have service near one of the airports or something. So that was, you know, and, and Pete, you might even tell us that that's not the case. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's not. There is no Mint service in Alaska. They also claim how, there's no Mint service in Hawaii, yet there is. Okay. <laughs> so, so that was my question. How long ago was it that you, how recently have you tested? Two the weeks, Ala two oh. weeks ago. Okay, yeah. never mind. So there's no mint service in Alaska. Thank you, Pete. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm I'm glad like to know yeah. this is good. So you know, his thought was, um, I know T-Mobile will be fine in Alaska, but if I switch to Mint, uh, what do you think will be the best way to have service in Alaska? He says, my wife and I have iPhones 13 and 12s right now, and by next year it'll be a 13 and a 15. Yep, I understand. I know how this works. Uh, my advice would be. Make the you, you get twenty four dollars a month in savings, right? And so you're going next year. 
So let's say over the course of a year, you're going to save $288, right? Uh, on, on all of this. Oh, public math. You're doing it. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm, I'm letting, I'm letting Siri help me by the way, another quick tip. And I do this without thinking about it. So I'm glad you highlighted this Pete command space bar, bring up the spotlight search. I typed in 24 asterisk 12 and it comes up with 288. That's how I knew it was $288. Uh, you've always got a calculator at your fingertips if you're max right there. Uh, so you got $288, uh, a limit of 288 to spend on whatever your solution is. Now, if you had to spend all 288 of it to implement some secondary solution, that wouldn't be worth it because you would have the inconvenience of having to figure out and implement the secondary solution. But I'm pretty sure that if you're going to Alaska for a few weeks, let's say a month, you can get 30 days of, you know, data for U.S. data is expensive. So it's not going to be like Europe data. But still, let's say you pay thirty dollars for, you know, the data that you would need. It's probably not going to be that much. It's probably going to be half yeah. that. Right. So times two, you've got eSIMs. You just go to eSIMDB. Find and, and do this a week or two before you travel. Like you don't have you can look now just to get a feel for what it would be like if you were going now, but certainly don't buy anything now um, and and use an eSIM. They're really simple. And eSIM DB is going to be your answer. Assuming the site doesn't go down another. We're going to have to. That's the twice. Yeah, we got to knock on wood again. I, I don't know what I would do if that site went down. Uh, and I would probably start a, a, a replacement for it because it's super valuable. But uh but, you know, just get an eSIM for your Alaska data and you're you're good to go. It's going to be fine. Uh, I, I really yeah, I, I, that's OK. okay. I was going to ask, like, you actually yeah. do this more frequently, Pete. So what do you what I, would you do? I, I yeah. do. And I haven't used an eSIM up there yet, but I, that's absolutely what I would do, because I just bought a worldwide data uh, last month and okay. uh, and used it for the first time, maybe two months ago now. And yeah. and that worked out great. The other option is uh, there's a little piece of gear and i know i've talked about this before it comes out of hong kong it's called a pokefy uh p-o-k-e-f-i and i think it's about 160 bucks and then it's 15 dollars for five gigs and i use and and essentially you're on wi-fi you know that thing connects cellular and uses wi-fi for all your access the hiccup i found on that is often is not my phone sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't it says oh you need to disable airplane mode because you know you don't you don't have cell service and you can't make a phone call even though i have wi-fi calling enabled yeah i know it, it comes up and says no 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 phone calls for you yeah. so but whatsapp and skype and all that still works sure, on sure. Wi-Fi. so yeah that's that's my workaround with it but huh and i've also found interesting this is the weird that's part interesting about so you have to have airplane mode off even if you don't have signal in right. order for your phone to make a call, make a call on Wi-Fi calling. Yeah. And I found I, that to be more true since I put the eSIM on the card. Oh, interesting. Then, yeah. Okay. So. Huh. <laughs> I, I mean, my guess is that that is a, a function of Apple's software, right? Like it disables oh, absolutely. the, the yeah. phone. Yeah. When the the phone app, the phone app. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it's in airplane mode, it just doesn't function. So I, okay. Like it doesn't need to be that way as you've proven with like WhatsApp and Skype. Cause yeah. if they work, it works like, fine. It works fine. Yeah. yeah. The a phone call over Wi-Fi calling would work fine too. So yeah. So I just told my, you know, what I 
taken to doing is just tell my wife, look, I, I turn WhatsApp on when I'm in overseas. Call yep. me on WhatsApp. And yep. the phone rings like normal. Yeah. Works great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it only uses data. <laughs> and interesting, look carefully if you're doing one of those eSIMs overseas. They, I think you discovered this too, Dave. They'll break it down. They'll give you like eight gigs of data. Uh, Sometimes. I think I bought 15 gigs. I said five, but I think I bought 15. It gives you like eight gigs of regular data and then five gigs or seven gigs of yeah. social media. Yeah. Some, some one of the companies yeah. it was one of them it, yeah i forget which yeah. one it was i saw I, yeah we talked about that i saw that plan too yeah 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 but yeah yeah just pay attention that's all it, you know when you're buying your yeah. eSIM. but you will you, you, you know you're you're in a read student. all the fine print read the fine print yeah yeah and look for discounts on eSIMDB often has coupon codes uh for carriers you know for eSIM providers and like when we went to Montreal recently, it was the eSIMs that I bought for the three of us each were, I think we got five, three gigs or five gigs. I mean, I, I needed, I was three gigs for five days, which was great. And it, we, I think, I think I used a gig and a half. I think uh, my niece used gig and a half and Lisa used maybe a gig. Like it, we always use way less than you think. Cause you're like out doing stuff. You're not just sitting around you right. know, and back at our Airbnb or your hotel, you're going to have Wi-Fi. But, um, but it is good to have. Uh, obviously data connection when you're out and about doing your thing. But uh, we, uh, the, the eSIMs were nine Euro. The company we used was eSIM, Y-E-S-I-M. And they were nine Euro, but I had uh, eSIM DB, which referred me to them by the way. And uh, you know, that's why I would have gone with it. Mm -hmm. Had a uh, five Euro coupon. So I paid for four Euro each. So 12 Euro total. And uh you know, it's good to go. It's funny. I bought Emily's, I bought my plan one night, like the day before we left or something. And it was, yeah. it turned out to be, you know, $4 and, and 33 cents or something. And then we bought my niece's plan the next morning and it was like $4. I saw the credit card charge notification come through. It was like $4 and 27 cents. I'm like, Oh, exchange rate helped. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Save six cents. You saved six cents. Yeah. The exchange rate between us and Canada is, well, it's very favorable, favorable right now for traveling to Canada. Um, it's not so favorable for traveling from Canada to the U S I would suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have, uh, one last thing that I've been playing with for a while and wanted to talk about Pete. And it is called the Mackie DLZ creator. This looks like, and is a mixer. Uh, it's 800 bucks. But I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it is a mixer built for people podcasting, streaming, YouTube, all of that. Uh, it it really is built to be sort of your all-in-one solution. And it also connects to your computer. But it has an SD card and it has a USB port. So you could actually record right from th this thing to, a, you know, a, either an internal card or an external device. So you could do it all right here. It's got four xlr and and quarter inch it's got four combo inputs so you can plug in up to four microphones and then it's got um two really three other channels that are sort of uh assignable to, to various different things you can assign them to um the uh the, the, there's inputs like more quarter inch inputs that you can assign them to you can assign them to a bluetooth input you can assign them to uh, USB outputs from your Mac. So your Mac could use like your Mac. It's some audio generated from your Mac could go out to this. 
and mm. you can mix and match those. And then it has a separate, an additional channel for built-in sound effects. So you could have like your theme music and your ding sound and all that stuff. And there are six soft pads on that channel that you can just use to trigger. And there are four banks that you can have loaded there. So up to 24 different sounds as you sort of bounce around this. It's almost got a mini stream deck built into it. And in that sense, yes. Yeah. Um, it it auto it it has the capability of auto mixing. So you tell it, okay, I want these four channels or these two channels. Like if we were just having you and me in there, I want these two channels to be um, the the levels to be equal. Or I want you know these three channels to be equal, but with one to take priority. So if the host starts talking, it ducks the other two, but otherwise auto mix them so that everybody's equal. Uh, you can turn that on or off, and it has four headphone outputs and there are four headphone jacks you can have four separate headphone mixes uh where you know you you have you know you could like whatever you want in your ears is different from what i have in my ears or if there's something you want muted from your ears you can do that too now where this starts to get really interesting is i started thinking about this i'm like okay well so everything i've just described so far is great for the person podcasting with people in the same room, like, like it would be right. fantastic for that. But of course I don't generally podcast with people in the same room. I podcast with people who sometimes are literally on the other side of the world. And so there are more features. It connects to your Mac, as I said, via USB, and there is sound that can go from your Mac out to it. So I could grab the sound from your, uh, you know, from the, our VoIP connection, we use StreamYard, right. but it could be Skype or discord or whatever. It doesn't matter. And I could route that out to one of the channels here because there are there are actually uh, two stereo sends from the Mac to this mixer that are assignable. Great. Okay. So now I've got, you know, a fader for Dave's local mic, a fader for Pete's remote mic. Great. I have my sound effects fader. Great. I have another fader from the second stream coming from my Mac that might be, say, you know, listener questions that I'm playing from the Mac. Okay. So now I can mix that. So far, we're checking all the boxes, right? This is this is good. My nice. Mac can capture the sound coming back from this. Uh, either the full mix. So if I want to use the mixer to actually mix things and send it back, I can do that. Or it's a multi-channel uh, capable device. So I could grab the audio from every channel and record it in, say, Logic. And that includes the channel that's coming from you out from StreamYard to this mixer, back into the Mac, into Logic, but processed by the mixer. And yes, now my head hurts. I'm right? sorry, <laughs> but it's like all the things. But it's like processed. They covered every base. Co oh yeah, and goodness. there's processing. There's 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 uh, effects like like reverb and delay. There's compression on this. Uh, every chance, <sighs> right? Like so, it's got all the things. It sounds good. Here's the part. As I'm going through this, I'm like, okay. So the one thing I'm missing though is. I need that headphone output to be able to go back to you because I need to send you a signal that doesn't have your voice in it because it would be on a slight delay and that would drive you batty. You don't want to hear that. Well, they have a little. Feature. Oh, Dave. Oh, contraire. I love hearing my own voice. Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> so they have a little feature on the headphone outputs. You can pick any one of them to be okay. sent back to the Mac via USB. So now I could create a headphone mix, right? Like they've thought of all the things I, I can't like I, I need to I need to rip apart my studio and uh, record 
an episode with this or at least a dummy episode with it, which I've actually sort of done already. And I, I really haven't found the, the, you know, there's, there's like, they, they, it seems like they've caught everything. It's, it's like, it's almost like they listened to what I needed and built it. And maybe they did. Awesome. Yeah. Well, somebody who clearly understands. Yes. Sound engineering. Put yeah. the thought into this. And podcast needs like, cause I've used yes. like the roadcaster and things like that. And there's always like a, well, you know, there's the asterisk of, yeah, yeah. I can't really get the mix I want back in. So I've got to do that in a different way and it's fine, but eh, you know, but like this. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. so they're not giving this away, but what you've got up on the screen in your screen share shows a couple other risks. This is at seven ninety nine. Yes. And it looks like there's something up there for five ninety nine and three ninety nine. Are those, those are, the same company? No, not the same company. No. The, okay, one of them is the road roadcaster. Yeah, yeah no, it it oh, would see there. Okay. like th- this would be even for me. This would be a little overkill, right? Because I don't need four mic pre's. I no, you know I, I could do two. So there's a maybe. This is their first foray into this at Mackie. Um, maybe there's a world where there's the Mackie DLZ creator mini or something, you know, two years down the road. I don't know where. Well, with four, I mean, that could be, you know, it could be a mixer for a band or. Um, I, you, you know? wouldn't. Yes, it technically yeah. could. It's okay. not built for that, but, but yeah, I mean, it's got all the outputs. So yes, yeah. I could, I could mix a band with four signals. I mean, as long as you were doing like just vocals, which sometimes happens. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, in a pinch, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty cool. I'm really impressed by this device. So I, that's why I wanted to take a few minutes and just talk about it here. But um, but my few minutes are now up. So I will I will keep us all posted as we as we go forth as we now go I forth. Want one. I know it's a pretty cool little device. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been messing with it for a couple of weeks. I I've been eager to talk about it, but I really wanted to like get into it and make sure that I that I understood it. Yeah. Before yeah. I, before I started talking about it, but yeah, no, it's I'm, I'm impressed with this thing. So yeah. thanks for hanging out with us folks. It's thank you. Indeed. Great. As always feedback at MacGeekGov.com. I know we said it many times in the show, but you sending in your stuff is really the fuel that keeps us going here. Um, so please keep sending it in. Thank you to all of you who do and have, Thank you to all of our premium subscribers at MacGeekUp.com slash premium. That's where you can go to learn more about that. It's not mandatory. It is very much appreciated. Uh, thank you to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thank you to Meta for putting out yet another social media platform that is actually worth checking out. It's worth checking out threads if you haven't threads. yet. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, it's worth checking out. I'm curious to see how, how this whole landscape evolves. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. And of course I'm out there at Dave Hamilton, uh, on threads because it's, it takes whatever your Instagram username is or was. And it, I mean, it, it remains and it just sort of clones it over there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So your name is already reserved. I think is how that kind of works. Well, the uh, problem is I don't have man, my username on Instagram is not pilot Pete. So I'll have to go figure out, have to go figure that out. Oh, there you quickly. go. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, go 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 now. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bye. Uh speaking of Pilot Pete, he uh go listen to his other podcast So There I Was. It's a great one for aviation enthusiasts and uh, I've got two other shows that I do, Business Brain for entrepreneurs and Gig Gab for working musicians. Come check those out. Mac Geek Gab merch is available. Get your merch now and you can have it uh if you're coming to Mac Stock, so that'd be fun. 
And we will see you at Max Talk. We've got some fun things planned. We'll probably talk more in depth about that in the next episode. Um, yeah, that's what we got. Thanks for hanging out. Check out our sponsors, of course. MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors will tell you all about the things that are current. And, uh, and of course, the links we mentioned in today's show, Notion.com slash MacGeekUp, ZocDoc.com slash MGG, and LinkedIn.com slash MGG. For the people who aren't on video, what's your shirt say? Upside down, it's hard to read. Oh, I'll just look in the camera. Don't get caught. Made up.